Cool. All right. Well, we're going to continue here on our series on what God is like. So uh, as I said, we're, I'm, I'm working through uh, Brad Jersek's book, uh, A More Christ-Like God. So I want to encourage you guys to buy the book. It's, a really, it's not a big book. I think it's, it's got to be under 200 pages. And it's really uh, good reading. You know what I mean? I mean, he really is an engaging writer. Uh, and the book's not written for like academics. It's written just for normal folks. So he's not like bogging you down with heavy academic kind of language sort of thing. Uh, he also, I, I did spend some time chatting with him a little bit because I told him, hey, Brad, I says, uh, I'm building a lot of sermons, messages out of your book. Uh, you know, I just want to make sure you're cool with that. And he goes, I have at it. He says, read the whole book to your church if you want. So he was really cool about it. Um, but I am using them more as talking points and kind of guiding us through because I think that uh, uh, one of the things, as I've said before, that I'm really trying to do is just get us back focusing to Christ, what he's like, uh, because for me, the, the formula if I can say it that way, it's very simple. So whatever Christ is like, God is like. Whatever God is like, Christ is like. It's the same. And so once we move away from that picture, we start to get a lot of distortions as to how we think of, of what we think of God. Um, hey, Becky, do you mind giving me some water, a bottle? Yeah. Uh, real quick, just turn to uh, John chapter 15, uh, verse 18. We're just, and I'm reading out of the Common English Bible. Um, Give you guys a few moments to get there. John chapter 15, verse 18. We're going to read all the way down to chapter 16, verse 4. 15. And I'm reading out of the Common English Bible, uh, beginning in um, verse 18. So Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However... I have chosen you out of the world, and you don't belong to the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, servants aren't greater than, than their masters. If the world harasses me, it will harass you too. If it kept my word, it would also keep yours. The world will do all these things to you on account of my name, because it doesn't know the one who sent me. If I hadn't come and spoken to the people of this world, they wouldn't be sinners, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me also hates the Father. If I hadn't done works among them that no one else had done, they wouldn't be sinners. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. This fulfills the word written in their law. They hated me without a reason. When the companion comes, whom I will send from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Uh, you will testify too, because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you so that you won't fall away. They will expel you from the synagogue. The time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a service to God. They would do these things because they don't know the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their time comes, you will remember that I told you about them. There's a lot of, you know, if you, if you put this all in context as to who Christ is, obviously Jesus is a peacemaker, and you always have to put who he is in context with what he's saying, right? And there's a lot of ways people misinterpret this, but I, but I love this statement that he makes. He says, they hated me without a reason. And the reason he says that, that they hated me without a reason, because what, what was Jesus doing that was so bad that people hated him, right? He's going around forgiving people. He's going around showing mercy. 
He's going around showing <laughs> kindness. He's feeding people. He's, he's telling people to love, that love reigns supremely, that love is what matters most. He's going around saying all these, what I would, I think any normal thinking person would say, yeah, these are all good things. Jesus says, yet they hated me. And, and it's the same way uh, when we think of where we're at today as Christians, right? That the world, I, I've gotten more antagonism by Christians because I choose to show mercy. I've never in my life thought that I'd have to be defending this statement that God is love to Christians. Never in my life did I ever dream that I have to defend this view. I, I get more antagonism from Christians because I tell them God is love and Jesus says love your enemies. So what are you going to do about that? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. And so one of the things that Brad Jersak says in his book, that there's two views that, that I think that we're constantly... Uh, they're, that they're contending uh, for, our, for, for us to choose, okay? I think especially as Christians. And that is that, that we're the, the God of pure will, or he says, or freedom, and the God of pure love or goodness. And these two views tend to dominate how we perceive God, okay? And both of them do have some qualities about them. Uh, and so I'm going to be talking quite a bit about freedom here. And, and I'm almost going to be talking about freedom in a negative sense. But I don't want you to, because to, this is this message here, and next week, it's part one of two of this. Yeah, I mean, I know we're in part four of what God is like, but this today's and, and next week is a two-part series. But so when I'm talking about freedom here, I'm going to be saying quite a bit of negative things. So don't freak out, okay? I'm not against freedom. So I just need to say that opening up. So here's what Brad Jersek said. He says, pure will or freedom. He says, a completely free God who is pure will produce, will, will produce worshipers who reflect him by champion freedom at all cost. And, and remember, he said this before earlier, we talked about this, is, right? He says, we are what we worship. So the God that, that we choose to believe in, however way we, we, we reach that conclusion through the Bible, the sort of God that we ultimately decide who we believe in is, is, is reflected in our lives. It's what we become, right? So, so, you know, so the questions I think we have to think is, so what kind of God is a God of pure will? And, and I'm really going to talk more about this uh, in next week's sermons in terms of really giving you, I guess, some more uh, reasoning on, on this type of God. But there's some questions I think that I want you to wrestle with a little bit. And, and so what kind of God is pure freedom or pure, pure will, right? And, 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 and one thing I think that when we think of this type of idea or vision of God, we think, well, if God of pure will can do whatever he pleases, okay? If God of pure will, of pure freedom, can do whatever he pleases, right? So I was having some dialogue uh, with a friend. Uh, and so I've been having lots of dialogue with, with people that are just saying, you know, we need to blow the hell out of the Syrians. Don't let nobody in. You know, let them die, and we should kill them. And, you know, I'm hearing a lot of this language, and it... And, and, uh, from Christians, yeah, yeah. And I, I've been losing my patience a little bit. I've been doing like a lot of snarky remarks. I need to stop. So you guys need to pray for me because I'm responding with things like spoken like a true zealot and they get mad at me and they should. I, I pretty much, yeah, they blocked me. I, I, I did slam them kind of hard. I, <laughs> yeah, but it's like I was praying this morning. I'm like, God, I just get in the way a lot, man. I, I'm trying to help and I don't think I'm, I'm doing a good job. Um, but when we think of this God of pure will, 
He becomes the kind of God that does whatever he pleases. And, And when we worship a God that does whatever he pleases, what does that produce in us? What kind of people do we become? The kind of people that do whatever we please, right? So, so when you look at kind of that logic, well, you know, they says, well, God's justified in committing genocide. And I tell them, so, I says, so, so is Hitler justified in, in trying to commit genocide? And they go, no, no, no. And I, I says, so if it's wrong for him, why is it right for God? See, and so we get caught up, well, well God, God can do whatever he pleases. So it's sacred violence. So it's okay because whatever God does is holy and not sinful. So it's okay for God to kill babies, women, and children and just murder them, right? And so, so we get this idea of this God that's just pure will, right? So this, so, this view, so this view of God, when we start to embrace this kind of view of God, it causes, how does it cause us to see ourselves? And we have to really think about these things, right? And that's where you see the zealots a lot, right? They're God's agents. I'm here to defend the glory and honor of God at all cost, right? At all cost. And so in a sense, we really are rejecting God and we start to become his rival, right? So here's another quote from Brad Jersek. He says here that uh, I'm going to be quoting Brad Jersek a lot with his permission, okay? The God who willingly laid down his life for others inspires loving followers who are truly free, free to move beyond the slavery of self-seeking into self-giving sacrificial love. Okay, so here's, here's kind of what he's talking about, pure love or, or goodness. That, that this comes down to willingly laying down his life and that he inspires us to, 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 to uh, loving followers, right? And, and that we're free, but we're free from slavery, right? And self-seeking, right? We're free from selfishness. And, and that freedom turns into self-giving and sacrificial love, right? So I need you to think about this too. So if you were God, if you were God, what kind of God would you be? (laughs) (laughs) What kind of God would you be? Right? A lot of the rhetoric that I hear is that, well, God's a God of justice. And so I answer back and I says, but isn't, isn't, let me say it kind of in a backwards way that, that from our perspective, God would come across as being unjust, right? Because he doesn't mete out retribution, but instead he's merciful, right? So from our perspective, and, 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 and I need you to really look at this in the most difficult way, so I'm going to use Hitler as another example. So God is merciful to Hitler, that's really hard for us to digest, isn't it? It really is. But it puts who God is in perspective. And, 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 and I don't know your guys' life, but in my life, I know I've been, I know I need mercy, man. I, 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 I've been a bad person. And, I mean, really bad, not like all you nice people in here. <laughs> right? So if you were God, what kind of God would you be? And I think this, the answer to this question really reveals a lot about who we think God is, in fact, right? Mm-hmm. See, so we're faced with, with the choices, right? Because they, they feel like they're now competing, right? Freedom versus love, rights versus responsibilities, our interests versus the interests of others, right? And so freedom and love, they start to seem like they're conflicting with each other, right? At least freedom as we understand it, okay? And a lot of the freedom that the way we understand it, we understand freedom as Americans. 
Our American culture ingrains into us that freedom is the highest priority, right? So our view of God affects our everyday choices, especially when we have to choose one over the other. When you have to choose love over freedom, what do we do? What are the choices we're making, right? See, whether it's them or us, our views of uh, right and wrong, our moral choices, all reflect this internal warfare that is caused by these two views of God's. Uh, Aaron mentioned uh, praying for the, the, the Syrian refugees and, 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 the, and the, um, the incorrect outlook towards Muslims, right? What do we do, right? We're reacting in our freedom, right? No, they're Muslims. We're reacting. And so this freedom says, no, I need to protect my freedom at all costs. And if that means rejecting Syrian uh, refugees from coming in, then so be it. Because my freedom is more important than theirs, right? Than their rights, than their uh, uh, choices, right? So we're constantly trying to juggle love and freedom, right? We're trying to, how does this work? How do, how do we do this, right? How does this work, right? I think, let's be honest, we want both, don't we? We really do. As Americans, the way we think, we want to preserve our freedom. But the, the, the thing that happens is that one will always reign over the other, right? So what happens when we feel our freedom is being threatened, right? Our rights or securities. What happens when that happens? Uh, when we feel that our freedom is being violated, right? And that's what you're seeing a lot. If you're active on Facebook or any kind of social media, that's what you see a lot is people feel threatened and they're reacting in hate, they're reacting in paranoia, they're reacting in hypothetical situations that I think are really just excuses for doing nothing, right? Because our American culture teaches us to defend freedom at all costs, and it's the highest goal that we live in or live for, and it's, uh, it's considered an honorable thing, right? It's considered an honorable thing. And anyone that becomes an obstacle or hindrance uh, to that kind of thinking is seen as attacking their freedom, right? So what, what, what would you guys say are some examples that you can think of, examples that, uh, if I can get any volunteers, what are some examples that you've seen where you feel this freedom is being pushed too far where it starts to violate God's love? Anybody encounter any of that recently at all? Anybody? Right. 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 Yeah. So you, you, we, we see these conflicts, right? So, in, so I'm trying to get you guys to be start thinking about some of this, right? So why is this seen as a threat to our freedom, right? We need to think a little bit about this, and and I think part of it is that. <laughs> It's the way we've been conditioned to think that our self-rule always comes first, right? And, and this is, the, this is the, the big debate that I end up getting in with Christians is that they completely ignore everything Christ says. And all that matters is that we as Americans preserve our freedom and that rules and reigns their hearts. So... Uh, Charlton Heston, right? Here's a good example. I'll give you my gun when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> that I'll give up my freedom, but you're going to have to pry it out of my cold, dead hands, right? This is, this, is, this, is, this is very common American way of thinking, okay? Or Western, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm just going to speak for Americans because I didn't really do much research on how the UK views some of this, but I'm imagining very much the same. So this pure will, uh, uh, this pure will or freedom view leads us to think that life without freedom is not worth living. Right? And we're going to defend it at all costs against anyone that would try and take it away from us. Right? But yet, here's, here's, here's the conflict that we as followers of Christ fall into, right? Jesus calls us to love our enemies. So what does that mean to us? What does that mean? See, and I think this is a reality that the first century Jews were, were, were living with when Jesus says, love your enemies. And they're going, what? It was very clear who their enemies were. It was the Roman Empire. Okay? Very clear. There, there's no... Anybody that studies, you know, first century Judaism... You know, Second Temple Judaism is clear and will tell you no doubt who that enemy was. And they were ruthless. They were killing them. They were overtaxing them. Uh, they had their neighbors, the Samaritans as well, that probably fell into that category, but predominantly was the Roman Empire. And so the reaction is, I think the same reaction that we're now living with, because Jesus is looking at us saying, love your enemies, and you go, wait a minute. You want me to love these Muslims? You want me to love that guy that just killed everybody? Right? And so now we're faced with the reality, right? It's, it's not just kind of this hypothetical thing, right? So where Jesus says, love your enemies, right? And, and loving your enemies has a lot to do with forgiveness. So to overcome evil with good, right? He calls us that we overcome evil with good. Freedom in Christ is actually counter to freedom as we see it, right? And, and it becomes, it becomes it, when you really start to take Christ seriously, and I share this with you guys that, Several years back, I started rereading the Gospels, and I realized that, man, I'm a terrible follower. I don't, do, I, don't, I don't believe or do anything that Jesus says. I'm constantly judging. Um, I don't love my enemies. So when our freedom is wrong, it violates the love of God. When our freedom starts to violate the love of God, I think that's a good measuring rule to say, wait a minute, maybe I'm taking my freedom too far. When my freedom starts to violate right, the love of God, I think it's when we start to, to push it too far. So Brad Jersex says this, freedom in Christ, ironically, is freedom from the tyranny of our own paranoia producing self-will and fear-driven self-preservation, which we've tragically mislabeled freedom. See, so... Following Jesus is no longer fun, right? Actually, I said this to somebody the other day. You know, following Jesus is going to get you killed, right? It's going to get you stoned. And it becomes a real quandary between us loving our enemies and defending our borders, right? This freedom that we've been taught. And we're faced with choosing between pure freedom and pure love. Okay, and I want to repeat this. Keep this in mind and don't lose sight of it. I'm not arguing against freedom, uh, not the freedom that Jesus teaches. Because we know that Christ came to set us free, right? And it's something that he desires for all humanity, right? So Brad Jersex is this. Genuine freedom is a gift of Christ's sacrificial love, not the vacuous promises or grandiose political movements or, how do you pronounce that word? Saber, sabery rattling politicians, right? Genuine freedom 
is a gift in Christ's sacrificial love. So I think that some of the questions we really have to start asking ourselves is, how important is your self-rule? How important is your freedom? And how far are you willing to go to preserve your idea, this idea of what American freedom means? How far are you willing to go to preserve that? So, so here's where we're faced with these conflicting views, right? So one of the things that I hear like over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again is the hypothetical, what will you do if someone is trying to rape and kill your spouse? Right? I mean, I guess it's something to think about, right? What would you do? I, I almost think that that hypothetical is just a way to hide from doing nothing, right? From doing nothing. And I don't mean waging war. I mean doing nothing. See, as Christians, we've been conditioned that the only thing that matters is heaven and hell. That's it, right? So I got to make sure Aaron's a Christian or wash my hands so that my blood, her blood is not on my hands and she's a Christian and okay, move on to the next one. And, and I talked to Becky and she rejected the Lord, but my hands are clean. Move on to the next one, right? And we completely ignore what the kingdom of God is about. We completely ignore that Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand and that he's the ruler. And what kind of ruler is he? He's not like Caesar. See, when we, when we read the scripture, every knee will bow, we have this vision of, of Caesar, right? The Roman empires, that he's going to force every knee to bow. That he's some despot, some ruler that way. But that's not what we find in Christ. So this hypothetical, what will you do? I think it's an excuse to inaction. Right? I want to show you a, a really quick little video here that um, my friend Brian Laporte's wife posted on Facebook. Um, let me see. I need, to, I need to cast my whole screen first. I want to show you this little short video. So uh, Miranda, I think most of you met her, Brian Laporte's wife, when they came and did our uh, Rethink uh, seminar. She, uh, she posted this video, but I want to read to you what the kids are saying in case you don't pick it up. So, these, so she teaches uh, little kids, and, and this is what they're repeating here. She says, you are my other. If I, if I, do, if I, if I do harm to you, I do harm to myself. If I love and respect you, I love and respect myself. Uh, let me just play this real quick. So I want to show you that because the, the point I want to make with that is that Miranda has chosen to take her role out of the hypothetical. And she's made a decision that the way I'm going to counter evil and violence and hatred in this world is by changing the hearts and minds of people. That's what the kingdom of God is trying to achieve, that we would all become Christ-like. And I kind of, you know, I kind of like uh, John Lennon's thing, Imagine, right? And so I'm trying to get you guys to really expand your brains and your minds and your hearts. Imagine what this world would be like if we were all genuine followers of Christ, right? We would change the world. 
And that's what I think Christ is trying to do because we're stuck in this thing that, well, God loves me because I'm special, because I'm, I'm his follower, I'm this or that. And I'm like, yeah, he does love you, but that's not why. He loves all humanity, and he loves all humanity the same. So, so these are some of the things that we, we talk about, right? The defending our homes, we, we start thinking about defending our borders. But maybe, maybe defending our borders comes in changing the hearts and minds of kids like that. What if, and, and I think this is a great cause for more missionary work, right? Where we can get in and start to build relationships with Muslims. Stop trying to convert them, build relationships. And over time, let them know why you are the way you are, right? Why you are the way you are, what Christ has done in your life. And hopefully their eyes get open and they start to follow Christ and they start to embrace the God of peace, right? Not the God of war. Amen. In 2009, there was a poll conducted by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. 54% of people who attended church service at least once per week and 62% of white evangelicals agreed that using torture against, listen, torture against suspected terrorists is often or sometimes justified. Um, I had a friend in Facebook that just unfriended me and completely blocked me. He's the one I said, you're a zealot. But this is what he said. He said, all churches should have their ushers get licensed to carry handguns to protect our churches. Yeah. Now, the reason I said to him, spoken like a true zealot, because I've known him for a long, long time. I actually thought he would see a little bit of my, because he knows me, he would, see, would catch a bit of my sarcastic humor. But as you all know, that when you write all your personality, the way you talk, it all gets completely lost, right? So, <laughs> so um, apparently he didn't remember me and just, he got all mad. And, and then he went on to post, Becky's still his friend, he went on to post... Uh, how, how countries, he goes, a friend I just recently blocked, I'd like to unfriend him and see what he thinks of this. I'm like, yeah, go ahead and unfriend him. I'll tell you what I think of that. So <laughs> 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 I tell you, I'm, I'm terrible, man. I, I need to, I feel a little bit of what uh, Daniel Kirk said the other day where he's like, was really, you know, upset. And he kind of read, wrote that last blog. I don't know if, I think you read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Title, the title line thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of feel that way sometimes, you know, and I'm like, oh. Yeah. Um, so, so how is this sort of thinking possible for followers of Christ, right? Most people that agree with this believe that, is also, that this is also morally necessary so long as freedom as self-will stands as the primary value. But the problem with this kind of thinking is that it involves a denial of someone else's freedoms and rights. Problem with this kind of thinking, we're now violating somebody else's freedom somebody else's rights, somebody else's humanity. All to preserve our safety, right? So Brad Drissack says, freedom has popularly come to mean being what I want, getting what I want, and doing what I want. I'm, I am captain of my ship. I set my course according to my desires. Right? Uh, Galatians, I should have wrote these down. Galatians 5.1 I'm just going to read it quick if you get there. That's fine. Uh, Galatians 5.1 says, um, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we aren't the, uh, we aren't the slaves of children, but we are, the f- we are the free woman's children. Christ has set us free for freedom. Therefore, stand firm and don't submit to the bondage of slavery again. Right? 2 Corinthians um, 
3, 7, 2 Corinthians 3, 7. Second, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The ministry that brought death was carved in letters on stone tablets. It came with such glory that the Israelites couldn't look uh, for long at Moses' face because his face was shining with glory, even though it was a fading uh, glory. I think this is the right one. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, has our desire, I may have written down the wrong one. Um, so has our desire for self-will freed us from fear? Listen. Has our desire for this kind of freedom, this American freedom, this, this idea that we, this kind of freedom that we embrace, has this sort of desire, has it freed us from fear, sin, the power of Satan and death? Has it freed us from us? It hasn't, right? All we do, all I see is people panicking, uh, uh, paranoia, f- uh, fear, all these things, right? It, it hasn't, this kind of freedom hasn't freed us from oppression or obsession or addictions. It hasn't. You know, we were talking about uh, you know, when, when we say that, you know, because I, I confront people, I'm like, so you think it was fine for God to commit genocide of the Canaanites, right? He goes, yeah. I go, well, what if you were a Canaanite? Would you think your perspective would be different? <laughs> it's like American history, right? We read it, and as a kid, I was taught to be American, and what a great country and everything else. But I didn't read history from the perspective of the American natives. Right. I wonder what their perspective would be like. Yeah. I wonder what the perspective of history if it was written from, from African uh, uh, slaves, what their history would be like, right? It'd be different. See, Christians once view freedom as a byproduct of living in accordance with the revealed ways of God in Christ. That's how they perceived freedom. It wasn't the freedom that we've been taught, right? But we, we view freedom as anything that hinders us from living the life we desire. Uh, Jesus taught that His truth sets us free uh, sets us truly free to follow the path of love that he created, but now Western cultures defines freedom as forging one's own path, willing one's own destiny. Yeah, Brad, that Brad Jersek said that too, okay. That he truly set us free to follow the path of love that he created. That's the freedom that we've been set free in, right? But our culture defines it as forging our own path, and, you know, willing one's own destiny, and you can hear this a lot in speeches, right? Destiny, freedom. You hear the rhetoric and politicians. I mean, you can hear a lot of this, right? Because this is the kind of stuff we hear. Freedom is our God-given right, and woe to those that would try to take that from us. That's what freedom has become to us. And this sort of freedom leads us to think that we're the masters of our own destiny, that we make our world, we declare independence, we choose our fate, we are free. And, and you know, and again... I say that I'm not against freedom, all right? I'm trying to help us think through some of this. Uh, so all of this to say that when this sort of freedom is, uh, is, our pr- is, is primary in our lives, our wills become uh, self-centered, and we end up dominating others and ultimately becoming victims of our own demands, right? But I think there's another way. Brad Jersek in this simple line says, God is love, and so defines what love is. He said this too. He says that the most mature statement in the Bible is found in John. And he says, God is love. It's the most mature statement, the most mature theological statement that we have about God, that God is love. Uh, Chris Tilling, uh, another theologian that I follow, uh, recently published a book called uh, Paul's Divine Christology. And he did, a, he, did a, he did a poll on Facebook and Twitter saying, how do you interpret Paul? 
and he gave like four options, and people were mad because he didn't give more. And he's like, "Hey, it's Twitter. I only have limited space here." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so one was, I think, the kind of the Calvinistic way, new perspective, apocalyptic or other. And um, and so apocalyptic reading was lower, was like twenty something, and and I'm not sure if it was Calvinistic or new perspective were the higher were the higher ones. Um, so Paul said, I mean, so, so Chris, Chris Tilling says this. He says, this is the advice I give all my students on how to interpret Paul. If you're, when you're reading Paul and your conclusions and your interpretation leads you closer to understanding God's love as being unconditional, you're closer to understanding what Paul was trying to say. If your conclusions and interpretations lead you further away as understanding God's love as being unconditional, he says, then you're, you're, you're moving in a direction that Paul wasn't trying to, to communicate to us. You're moving in an interpretive way that's, that's, that's misleading. And, and I like that a lot. I think that that's a more accurate way to, 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 to think, right? And, and so, so we get a lot of this. I'm almost done here. I just got a couple, a few more slides. So there's a lot of thinking, right, that goes on, right? Like people say, well, I have a Christological theology. I have a Jesus-centered theology. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's good, but not good enough because... How do you define Jesus? Right? So I do Christological preaching. Well, I hear a lot of people that say they have a Christ-centered preaching, but they, they move in all kind of weird directions about who Christ is, right? Uh, one guy told me that. I says, well, how exactly do you interpret the Bible? He says, well, I think that the Old Testament and everything Jesus says is very harmonious. And I'm like, <laughs> That's what I, that was what I said. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking, oh, wow. I says, uh, I go, well, good luck with that. <laughs> I mean, even when you read the Bible, people say, well, you can have a sexual ethics. You can derive out a sexual ethics from the Bible. I'm like, really? I don't think you can. I mean, David had seven wives and concubines, and nobody ever said anything to him about it. So is that a good sexual ethics? Is that one we can do? I don't know. See? It's not harmonious. It's not harmonious. (laughs) But when we start to... So, so we know, so I think we know, and I'll just say this, right? So, so, so God's love is not like loving chocolate cake, right? Or, or falling in love or making love, right? <laughs> right? It's not, it's, not, it's not these ways, right? Falling in love, making love, although they can dimly reflect something about God's love, right? But God's love is seen in the compassionate heart, caring for others, and selfless, selfless commitment. And we see this in the life of Christ, so is it possible that God's grace can generate a greater love more compelling than our own freedom? Let's look a few scriptures here. Luke chapter 9, 23 to 25. Jesus said to everyone, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. All who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will save them. What advantage do people have if they gain the whole world for themselves yet perish or lose their lives? Um, John 12, 24 and 26, says, I assure you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it can only be a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their lives will lose them, and those who hate their lives in this world will keep them forever. Whoever serves me must follow me. Wherever I am, there my servant will also be. My father will honor whoever serves me. Right? Crazy talk, isn't it? It's crazy talk, right? Take up your cross lose your life to save it, die to live, hate your life, 
serve, follow? What's he talking about? It's crazy talk, right? Who wants that, right? Hate my, you, want me to, you want me to hate my life? See, Jesus goes contrary to all our American way of thinking, all our, you know, the last 500 years of theological thinking, and especially in America, the last 100 years of, of, of a lot of interesting doctrines that have come and filtrated our way of thinking. See, this American way of thinking, it defiles, it defies, I'm sorry, our self-will and worldly freedom, right? Relationships, and when you think of relationships, they work this way, right? If you're going to make a marriage work, you're going to have to put love above your own interests, right? You're going to have to live unselfishly. (laughs) We can see this just in everyday life and relationships, right? Each time that you and I respond in Christ's love, we chip away at our own self-centeredness. Every time you and I respond in God's love, we're chipping away at our own self-centered. We're dying to ourselves slowly, right? Because our, our death is a really slow, torturous, painful death because we're like, we're like Charlton Heston, right? We're going to grip onto it until he pries it out of our hands. I want to hold on to this self-centeredness until you pry it out of my dead, cold hands. But when love, is primary, when, when love is primary, it leads to genuine freedom, right? Matthew 22, 36 and 40 says, Teacher, they ask him, what is the greatest commandment in the law? You guys should all have this memorized because I'm constantly pounding in our heads. He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and who no longer lives? I. I. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I, not, that I now live in my body, I live by faith, indeed by the faithfulness. The faithfulness of who? God's Son, right? See, that whole thing, this translation and other translations in Romans, where they would say faith in Christ, Theologians, and Richard Hayes, I believe, was one of the ones that pushed it more, talks about the faithfulness of Christ. It's His faithfulness that accomplished all things, not ours. It's His, right? He says, indeed, by the faithfulness of God's Son, who what? Loved me and gave Himself for me. You, you and I, you know, we, 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 we're really selfish in our way of thinking, and we really, really don't want to do what Jesus said because it really is hard. See, I, I ask people, I go, okay, you want to ask a real hypothetical question? Let's ask this question. What if your life is being threatened? Not your spouse's, not your grandchild, your kids. What if your life is being threatened? What, how do you respond? Do you turn the other cheek? Right? Do we respond with forgiveness? What do we do? Nobody else is being threatened. Your mom, your dad, they're safe. You, your life. How do you respond, right? Brad Jersek says this, Christ's love surrenders willingly to the Father's will as its highest good. Christ's love is the true freedom, freedom to love, empowered by a risen love. Love sponsor freedom sacrificially serves one's siblings in Christ, extends mercy to the needy, 
and lays down its life in the cause of justice, right? See, Christ's love is willing, not willful, uh, not willful, consensual, or, or coercive, right? It's faithful, not forceful. And what we see in the life of Christ is him giving up his rights, his personal freedom and will. This is why Paul says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness. It's why he says, it's in my weakness that I'm strong. Why? Because at the cross, what do we see? Do we see an all-powerful God? What do we see? We see a powerless God. A powerless God that says, that says, that I'm not here because my father sent me to be to appease his wrath because he's so angry with you guys. He says, I came to love you. He says, but instead what I become is your victim. I become your sacrifice. Why? Because we want sacrifice. We want violence. We want blood. We want destruction. That's why Jesus says, they hated me without a reason. See, Jesus prays, right? My father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. My Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Maybe we need to learn to pray that prayer in, in the light of everything that we're facing. God, because look, I, I'll, I mean, for me, honestly, like when I see these things, my, my knee-jerk reaction is, yeah, let's go kill these people. You know, when I see this stuff, like, you know, man, I wish I was there in San Bernardino because I did anything I could to kill this guy, right? It's kind of a knee-jerk reaction, right? And to pretend that it, it doesn't affect us in any kind of way is to be silly with who we really are. But I think we have to learn to pray this way, Father, um, if it's not possible for this company to take, it says, may your will be done. And what is his will? It's peace, right? Peace on earth, right? It's, it's, so this is the season of Advent, right? Where we think and look forward to the coming of Christ, where we contemplate all these things about Christmas and, and we think back about how the, 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 the first century Jews were looking forward to Christ's return and, and we reflect now during the time of Advent as we look forward to the coming of Christ. But what kind of people will he find when he returns? Violent? Hateful people? Is that what he's going to find? Or is he going to find people, Right? that have chosen the narrow way, people that love peace, right? Peace on earth is what the angels declared, that the Prince of Peace has come. See, Jesus said, put away your sword. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? See, his love, Jesus' love for God and love for neighbor causes him to give up his rights and freedom for the sake of the Father's co-suffering love. All right, last slide here, and we're going to close. Brad Jersek says this, For disciples of the Lamb, laying down our lives means laying down the sword of coercion. Someone say that word for me, I'm late. Thank you. And lethal force, and picking up the cross of self-giving, radically forgiving love. Amen. Let's just bow our heads. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, for who you are, God. And Lord, the more I come to know you, I realize that in so many ways, I'm nothing like you, God. Father, I just pray, God, because a lot of burdens that we were sharing today, Father. And I just pray, God, that we would be, God, those light bearers. Father, I pray that mercy would always rule our hearts. Father, that 
when we think of justice, that we remember your justice and your justice is good, Father. That you were always mad when we didn't care for the needy. That you were always bothered when we overlooked the, the widows and, and the homeless and the, and, and the orphans. God, help us to have your heart, Lord. Help us to usher in your kingdom, a kingdom of peace, Father. A kingdom, God, that understands that your love is for all humanity, not just America. America is not the special country that we think it is in terms of your favor, but that you love all countries and all people equally the same. Help us to take that love and mercy to others, Father. Help us, God, to, 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 to repent and in the full sense of that meaning, God, that we would have a change of mind and heart about who we think you are and that we would come to know you as you revealed yourself in Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.